It was Benjamin Franklin who said, there are two things that are certain, death and taxes. I was reminded of that this week, not only because of our gospel lesson this morning, but because of it being this time of the year when people are pulling their papers together and submitting them to the government and being informed of what's to come next. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine recently who was lamenting what had to be given to the government. And I thought to myself, you know what, this is America. We all get the short end of the stick in some way. And indeed, I was at Target yesterday when I got the call from my accountant for our annual conversation. And I said, oh, hi, Bill, as I'm in one of the aisles. I said, how are you? He said, well, I'm fine, but you're not. <laughs> Ugh. Yeah, it was about, I guess, nine years ago when I was having a conversation with a layperson in New Jersey who was very involved in clergy compensation. And he said to me, Whitney, the clergy are the picture of delayed gratification. And I was not really in a good spot right at that time in my life. My father had died about two months beforehand, and he was a clergy person, and he died at the age of 54. And so I said very cynically to this guy, yeah, if you live long enough to retire, then it does seem to all work out okay. Perhaps cynicism is what is linked to death and taxes. And it might be the way that we approach today's text as we read it. Mary and Martha come to Jesus and say words that could be in any one of our mouths. I'm certain that any one of us have said sometime in our life, Lord, if you had been here, this would not have happened this way. That's what Martha says first to Jesus, and then Mary says it too. Lord, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. And so, in a cynical nature, I could say, well, at least you had Jesus to talk to. I mean, he lived in a very specific time and place. We don't even have the advantage of going to Jesus directly and saying, if you'd been here, you could have done something about this. But if we sit with our cynicism long enough, in the silence, we begin to see that what it really does is cover up the hurt, the disappointment. This is not how it's supposed to be. And now we can come to the text of today's gospel. Jesus has fled Judea because in the 10th chapter of John's gospel, when he talks about being the good shepherd and the sheep knowing his voice and that the sheep will follow him who know his voice. It is after speaking that way that people take up stones to stone him. So he flees Judea with his disciples. And it is in that distant spot that he gets a message from Martha that Lazarus is ill. He decides to wait there for two days and then he decides to head back to Judea. And you see in our gospel lesson today that the disciples are perplexed as to why Jesus would go back. They said, don't you know? It was only two days ago that they were trying to stone you. Why would you return? And he tells them, well, Lazarus is asleep. And you see in the gospel lesson that the framework they have for understanding those words is that he's actually asleep. And so they say, he'll be all right then. Let's stay here. 
And that's when Jesus tells them plainly that Lazarus is dead and that they need to return. And Thomas, one of the twins, the one that we refer to as Doubting Thomas, who's in the gospel lesson for the Sunday after Easter, it's that person that says, well, then we will go with you and encourages the other disciples. Let's go with him and we will die with Jesus because I'm sure the stones are still handy. And so they set out to go to Judea. These disciples only have a framework for what being asleep is about. And it is to actually be asleep as we are familiar with it, taking a nap kind of a thing. So Jesus heads towards Judea and gets near Bethany and Martha hears that he's coming and she goes out to meet him. And she says the words that Mary will say a little later. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus tells her, asks her if she believes in the resurrection. Now, in her framework, she knows what that's about. On the last day, the righteous will be raised to new life. We read about it in the book of Ezekiel. The last day, the righteous will be raised to new life. And so she says, yes, I do believe in the resurrection on the last day. That is her framework. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And again, going back to all that she knows, she says, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world. Jesus then continues on. He meets Mary, and she again asks him this question, makes the statement that if he had been there, her brother would not have died. And he says, well, take me to where he is. And that's when all the other followers, the mourners, are with them, following Jesus to the tomb and talking among themselves, and they say, couldn't the one who healed the blind man also have prevented this person from dying? Because that is their framework. They saw Jesus, or at least heard that he healed the man who was born blind. And they think, couldn't he have prevented this person from dying? When they get near the tomb, Jesus asks that the stone be rolled away. And I can imagine Martha leaning in and almost pleading with Jesus when she says to him, it's been four days. He's going to smell. This is not her desire to be polite. It is her desire to remind Jesus he is dead. This is what happens after four days. Because in her framework, that is how it goes. Death does this. And the fourth day is the end of the time that any spirit would be left in the body. But Jesus asks that the stone be rolled away. And so they roll away the stone. And Jesus talks about listening again. And he says, God, my father, I'm glad that you always hear me. You know my voice, and I know yours. Echoing back to the 10th chapter of John when Jesus talks about being the good shepherd. And then he calls out to Lazarus, and Lazarus hears Jesus' voice and emerges from the tomb. Jesus has to instruct those that witness it to unbind Lazarus because he is not dead. He is wrapped in the wrappings 
of one who is dead, and Jesus tells them, he is alive. Take it off. We hear in our gospel lesson today that those who witnessed it believed in him. Never before had anyone healed the eyes of a man born blind. And never before had one called forth someone from the tomb. And so now they have a new framework of what it is that God can possibly do. Something that they'll need when they come to the empty tomb a few days after Jesus has been buried and discover that he is not there. Now the followers of Jesus have a point of reference. They have a framework for saying, wow, God can break the bonds of death. God has a way of revealing to us, and especially through our gospel story today, that those things that we think are certain are not the boundaries in which God operates. Those boundaries that we think are impervious, cannot be permeated, God says, yes, actually, I can move through them. And we find ourselves saying, really? I thought that that was a definite Through our gospel lesson today, we see the miraculous nature of God and that God can permeate boundaries that we thought were certain. And it is through these stories that we begin to see what it is that God can do and to be open to receiving the miracles that God works in this world, in our lives. We might like to think that death is certain, And with this example and seeing that God breaks the boundary, we might like to think that we could help God break the boundary. But these miracles are not ours to do. When Jesus asks Martha if she believes in the resurrection, he's not trying to see if she's got enough faith for him to do this. He wants to see if she has the capacity to receive the miracle that's going to be done, the miracle that reveals God's glory. And he hears her words, the only framework she has, as sufficient for receiving the goodness of God. The miracles of God are not ours to create, but they are ours to receive. And through reading the stories of our scriptures and the miracles that God has done, breaking the boundary of death, which we thought was a definite, one that no one could break, We have before us an example of God's ability to work beyond what we think is certain. Now, we are invited to receive the miracle of God. So that when something like this happens in our own lives, we might be able to recognize it for God's glory. That is what we're invited to consider today. And when you experience a moment when God breaks through the boundary and reveals to you something marvelous, I hope that you will be able to receive it. Amen.